My name is Bob, Bob Lee, like Jake said, uh, and I will be talking uh, through a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. So if you brought your Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. We're in a series called Acts, the birth of a church, which is perfect because we are a church plant and we were just birthed, if you will. So today the focus is going to be on the community, so the church, what we're doing here and um, bigger than just here Um, So yeah, the community. Um, It's my first time speaking here at Arbor, and I know a lot of you have absolutely no idea who I am. Random redhead, right? (laughs) So suppose I should start by uh, giving you a a little bit of background. Not too much, but a little. Uh, So I, the reason I, my wife and my family, that we're all jumping into the Arbor Church plant is because um, though I've been following Jesus for about 17 years in my life, um, I've been doing that alongside and in some form with Pastor Jake and, and his family for about 14 of those years. Um, so I was an intern uh, and was learning how to be in ministry as, as he was at Overlake. And then he hired me onto his team at Overlake, so I was one of the youth pastors. Um, and then I became one of the children's pastors, and he was still um, my boss there. The lights flashed. It was awesome. And then, so for 14 years, in some capacity, we were together. So when he said, hey, do you want to come plant a church with me? Naturally, um, it was kind of a no-brainer. I said, yes, because, I mean, I've taught him everything he knows. So um, might as well make sure everything's going well. Um, So we find ourselves here, and we're really, really, really excited to be part of it. Um, That's enough background for now, right? So let's, what I'd like to start with is a story. If we're going to talk about the church I'd like to start with the story of my first memory of walking into a church. This would have been back in the 1900s, so like 1991. Um, I was nine years old, or eight, something like that. Uh, And it was me, my mom, and my little brother. So if I was eight or nine, that makes my little brother uh, probably three or four at the time. And uh, no church background, single mom. Uh, We lived with extended family up in Everett. Uh, So no real reason why we would be going to church, but for some reason, that morning, she said, we're going to church. Uh, I didn't even really have an idea of what that really meant at the time. Uh, So I think in that season of life, as I've talked to her since then, um, she was was asking a question. Uh, Does God have a place for my little struggling family? And she decided to take that question to the people of God, to the church, right? Because that's one visible way that, that we can see what God is up to. So she took that question, and from the moment that we arrived at that church up in Everett, we were completely out of place because we didn't know how it worked. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know, like, who to talk to. We didn't know anyone's names. If you're not already plugged in, is there assigned seating? Are we supposed to sit in, like, this section, or is there a special handshake? We had no idea. So we walk in, kind of following the, you know, the herd mentality. We walk in, and we end up sitting in the middle of the middle, right? So not like on a, an exit row so you can make a quick getaway or anything like that. We were locked in. We were, we were committed. And the church probably sat three, 400 people, not unlike this room right here. One big difference is they didn't just have, uh, you know, mostly the kids kind of doing their own thing. The big and, you know, key to the story difference is kids stayed with the families. So there were kids kind of interdispersed through the whole thing. So unlike me, who, you know, quiet, can sit with your own thoughts for days, my little brother, not so much. So middle of the middle, and my little brother, from the moment we start, from the moment that it ends, 
he ain't having it. Like, what are we doing? This is all weird, and I can't, like, run around and stuff. So my brother starts making noise, like any kid should. Um, but it's like a more than any of the other kids who know how to do the church thing. They've been scolded enough times, right? So he's doing his thing. He's making noise. The music's happening. That's not a big deal. But then the guy gets up there, and he starts yapping. Uh, and he's talking and talking, and it seems like it's never going to end. Uh, and my brother, we're probably six minutes in at this point, my brother is not toning down the volume, even though my mom is clenching her, I can remember it vividly, her clenched jaw and grabbing him and telling him to shut up and all these different things. Because you have to admit, if you know everyone in the room, like you're, you're a part of the church and your kid's being loud, it's still kind of painful. But it's like, yeah, you know, everyone knows you. When you don't know a soul and you walk into the church and you're already nervous to be there anyway, it is crippling. I mean, my mom, introvert, it was, it was terrible. Uh, so the, 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 you know, it's like an action film, right? The trains are heading toward each other. My brother's being loud. He's trying to make a point. My brother's being loud. He's trying to make another point. And it, your palms are sweating right now, I know. And it all comes to a head because someone steps in to help us. So we're talking about the community, right? The church. Someone finally steps in to help us. But it's not who you expect. It's not like an usher, you know, who's like trained to keep an eye on things. And he comes over and says, hey, here's some crayons in a coloring book. And gives it to my brother and every birds fly away. Not that. It's not like a nice family who knows how to scold a child right to keep them quiet. They could scold my brother. That's not how it happens. Instead, the person who's up front decides to help us. Our help comes straight from the top. <laughs> so the man, the guy who is standing there speaking, he decides to take it upon himself. Because a single mom in need, that's a ministry opportunity. I'll help her. So he's preaching, yapping, like I said, and he decides to stop abruptly. He looks around, and he's dramatic sigh. And he says, if you can't keep your kid quiet, please leave. I remember this. I remember being like, looking at my mom and thinking, my mom might kill this man. Um, but she, in the moment, absolutely overcome with shame and embarrassment. She stood up, grabbed little brother, I knew to follow <laughs> and to be quiet. And we're in the middle of the middle. So she has to scooch out in front of everyone. And this guy stood there quietly, silently, and waited. Didn't, make a, you know, didn't, didn't keep talking or anything. He waited. It was a long path. I can picture it still 25 years later. Long path back to that door. My mom walked into a church with a question. A very precious question. Does God have a place for me and my family? And she got her answer. That's the best point that that pastor has ever preached. No one remembers pastor's points. We know that. <laughs> 25 years later, I still remember the point he was trying to make. And the answer is, if you can't keep your quiet, if you can't even keep your kid quiet, no, you don't have a place here. No, your family doesn't have a place with God. And you better clean yourself up before you come back here and be with God's people. That was the message that came across very loud and clear. My mom has refused to ask that question, to bring that question to the people of God ever since. 25 years later, she won't step foot into a church, not even to hear me speak. So I am very, very, very concerned that as a people... Whether you call yourself part of the church or not, 
But as a people, I am very concerned that we get it right, that we figure out who are we supposed to be? What, what story is God trying to tell? And how are we supposed to be part of that story to tell that to, to everyone in their neighborhood and everything who's walking around with a, very, a set of very precious questions? And a lot of times they're going to ask the church. A lot of times. And we've got to make sure that we answer that correctly with the way that God wants us to. So without delay, how about we go to Acts chapter 2 where it tells us, gives us a real good glimpse of what the church is supposed to be. So with that, we're going to read Acts 2, 42 to 47. And John, Steve, if you're, there you are, buddy. Can you read that for me? Thanks, John. Okay, so a little context. This verse right here, um, what happened the verse before, if you look at verse 41, what happened, and Jake talked about this last week, is 3,000 people have said yes to following Jesus for the first time. 3,000 people were actually baptized um, right before this happened. For 3,000 people to be baptized, that would be a line that starts at our door and goes along the road all the way to Costco, if they each have 24 inches. I looked it up. Uh, So... (laughs) 3,000 people is a lot. Now, these people all had a Jewish background, and they were all in Jerusalem. This was very Jerusalem-centric. So they all kind of had a cadence to life and things and the way they understood God and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, there's a line in the sand, and 3,000 decide they're going to follow Jesus. And that's a lot different than what they had been used to in the Old Testament system. Now, Arbor Church, um, to, to compare it, we're a group of maybe 400 Um, Sometimes it feels like 4,000, but it's 400. And we've been forming over the time spread of about a year. And we're mostly, not all, but we're mostly kind of church-experienced people at this point. Um, And even though we've been forming over a year, we've been around really for about a month, and that feels like breakneck speed, like almost almost chaotic, right? That's just a lot to do in a very short time. So this is far bigger and far faster. And one day there are 3,000 people to take care of. So what this passage is, is it, it's, a, it's a pause in the story of Acts. It started off really fast. It's like an action movie where things are just happening. You've got Jesus who has risen from the dead. He's teaching his disciples and believers, uh, the, the small group of believers, what's going to happen, promises the Holy Spirit. And then he goes to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit does come, and it's amazing, and the believers are empowered to be witnesses. And then Peter stands up in front of a huge crowd, and he says the message. And then all of a sudden, 3,000 people are sitting there believing the message, and what this passage is, it's like the camera pans out and says, let's take a breath and see what it looked like. So, so it talks about what they did, how they interacted with one another, and what God did through it. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to go kind of verse by verse and just work our way through it. Uh, Verse 42, so it says, And they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So first, they. Who is they? It's obviously the group of 3,000 plus about 120 others who had already been kind of committed to following Jesus. So it's not just any random group. It's not a group on Facebook who all agreed with like some political thing. The thing that bound this group together was that they said yes to the message of Jesus. So just so we're clear, the they were the ones who believed the message, and the message was this, essentially, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived the life that we were meant to live, meaning it was faultless, it was sinless, it was in connection and communion with God perfectly, didn't mess up with that. And then, from that position, he died the death that we all deserve to die because we haven't lived that life. So he died the death we deserve to die. He's the only one who could carry that weight. And then he came back to life three days later because death couldn't keep him down. And he offers that same life to anyone who would just trust in him, not themselves or what they do, just trust in him for life. That's the message that these people decided they're going to be committed to um, and they're walking into. So this group of people decide to devote themselves to four things. But that word devoted is important because it signals that there was a shift in their life. So it's not like they said, yep, I'm going to believe that. And they had a new thing to believe in their head, but their actions and trajectory of life were all exactly the same. It, it was a new thing that they believed and they realized that it changes everything. It changes how you live. It changes how you interact with people um, and how you interact with God. So if Bartholomew had a plumbing business, Bartholomew's Plumbing, um, the focus of his life was no longer trying to build that business. It was now trying to follow Jesus in this new way, and his business was seen with a new light. It was seen at a, as a means to this end rather than you know, the business being the whole life or whatever we fill in the blank with, whatever we make our life about, work or kids or money or security or you guys are creative. Um, we've all filled it in with a whole bunch of things all at the same time. It's a long blank line. Um, so the, the, they devoted themselves, as we need to, to a new rhythm of life. And the four things that it lists that they devoted themselves to were, first, the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were the ones who had walked with Jesus for a couple of years, right around three. So they were the ones who knew all the cool stories like if, if, if a new believer had a, a question about what Jesus would do in a situation or about who he was, what he was like, what this is saying is this group of 3,000 devoted themselves to sitting under the apostles' teaching. So what it means is they realized that following Jesus isn't just something you check off the box and then you do your minimum, you check off the church box every Sunday. It's a new rhythm of life where you and the group especially is devoted to making sure that their understanding is transformed because they, and just like us, we have lived our lives for years under one system trying to find life, trying to find that sense of life, trying to find that sense of satisfaction or whatever you want to call it. For years, we have dug our heels into that. And then all of a sudden, when you say yes to Jesus, you realize that stuff doesn't work. Life is actually found in Jesus and in what he's got planned for me. And you have to unlearn things. Getting saved is like, it's like you're, you're forgiven, you're washed clean and all that stuff, but you're still left with a big ball, like a big knotted ball of nasty twine and rubber bands and stuff. And you're like, I don't know what to do with all this though. Yeah, I'm forgiven, but I still seem to have all these issues and thoughts and fill in the blank, right? 
And so then the rest of your life is a process of you and Jesus and the people of God together holding up these big nasty balls of, of twine and things and saying, we got to untangle this together. And it's, it's this process, this sanctification of untangling the knots that we find ourselves in. The disciples or the apostles' teaching was something that they were devoted to. And that's going to find its expression here at Arbor Church. We're going to be a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching. We still have the apostles' teaching because we have the New Testament, which is um, largely written by the apostles or those who walked alongside the apostles. Um, So they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. Number two, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. So there are people who will say yes to Jesus, and they'll do the, the minimum. They'll check the box. I come on Sundays, and I come to church every week or every other week or whatever your rhythm is, um, but they never really plug into community. And I think what this stands in contrast, or what this is saying is there is a devotion to the fellowship, to actually knowing folks and being known by folks um, and doing life together. Now, even in a church that's this size and brand new, that's pretty tough to do. Uh, if you look to your left and right, you probably don't know a whole lot of people here. So um, just to make it super practical, here's what I found. I grew up at Overlake. I had whatever it was, a couple, few thousand people, right? But when I decided to leave Overlake, the ma- thing that made it really, really hard was how plugged in I actually felt, even in a church of 3,000, and it all comes down to one thing. I decided to serve. I decided to serve in the youth ministry, and then I got involved by being on staff, but where it all started was I decided to serve, and I served high schoolers, and then I served junior hires, and those people, not just the junior hires, but the other leaders, that became my community, so if you are walking into this whole following Jesus thing, and you think it's just something to believe, and it's just come to church on Sundays, what this is showing you is it's actually something a lot deeper and a lot better, so the reason that it doesn't feel right only focusing on those things is because it's not right. You've got to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, and you've got to plug in to this thing called the fellowship. There's a third thing, uh, the breaking of bread. Now, I try to always look at passages through the eyes of people who aren't, you know, like church people. This one would sound kind of weird to me, right? So they were devoted to breaking bread. So what that means is this group of 3,000 people, if they were walking down the, the road, the street, their posse was heading down the street, and they saw bread, yeah, they'd break it. <laughs> yeah, there's no safe bread in this town. Uh, not, not one piece. So this group of thousands of people were committed to, devoted to breaking bread, which obviously means they were devoted to having, com- it's two things, common meals together is one, they ate together, uh, so breaking bread. But Uh, The other thing that that signals is they were also committed to something that Jesus had started when he stood in front of his disciples right before he got crucified and he grabbed some bread and he broke it in front of them and said, this is a lot like my body, which is about to be broken for you. And he told his disciples, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So this is the followers of Jesus doing what he told them to do. They are breaking bread together in their homes and they're remembering him by eating together. It could be anything else, right? It could be they devoted themselves to the cutting of steak. They devoted themselves to the shucking of corn um, or whatever. But the, the, the simple fact is they ate together. So let me ask you a question. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here, this is, um, it's not going to be a raised hand, of course. But how many of you would say that in the last seven days, let's go ten days, you have eaten with someone 
from church. It doesn't have to be Arbor Church, whatever church you're plugged into, whatever uh, community. In the last 10 days, you have eaten a meal with the church. Not like in a church building, but like outside and wherever you're going. Okay, a bunch of people, cool. What would be really cool is if that was a part of our rhythm, right? Like we came to church and it was, if I asked that same question, everyone would be like, yeah, of course, we're devoted to breaking bread. There ain't no safe bread in this town because we eat it at each other's houses. We go to QFC and we grab it and we, we buy it all. Um, so that's something to be committed to. And that is a way that this, is get, this gets super practical. If you walk into this place and you don't know anyone, I'm going to make it practical here for a second. Uh, this is actually really hard for me. Here's what you do. You walk up to folks, and you say things like, hi, I'm Bob. I'm Gunner. Gunner? That's a cool name, Gunner. Way cooler than Bob. Uh, so, you like bread? I like bread. I do, too. Uh, you should come to my place sometime, and we should, uh, like with a bunch of people, we should, like, break it and eat it. Can I break some of my own bread? Yes. All right. Okay, cool. That's a way, one way this could play out. Now, I suggest you do it less weirdly. Um, but that's one way. And if we all do it weirdly, then it's not weirdly anymore. <laughs> all right, the fourth thing. So they, they have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, like I've said, these were Jewish people who already had a cadence of life, of following God. There were synagogues, and the temple was right there in Jerusalem. So there was this cadence of prayer and things like that that they continued and, and kind of followed Jesus uh, and utilizing that. The thing that I think carries forward for us is this, the, the temptation and trap is for people like us to do all the other three things right, to focus on doctrine and to focus on uh, fellowship and serving together and doing whatever it takes to link arms and be together and to even um, break bread together. But then what we fail to do oftentimes is to bring God into what's going on and to say, like, if I'm having a meal at someone's house, it's really, it takes a lot of courage to say, this is a really good dinner. Hey, can we take 10 minutes and just pray? Can I pray for you and your family? Like, that's a whole nother level of what just happened here. Like, it's kind of easy. Actually, it's, it's kind of hard, but it's kind of easy to say, can we have a, a meal together? But for you to have the courage as a group, as a community, to bring God into the mix and to be devoted to the prayers, to prayer, that is a sign of an even you know, a greater maturity that we need to find ourselves working towards. So they devoted themselves to the four things. We're a church that's only been around for a month, but if I had to rate us on how are we doing with this, uh, on a scale of one to ten, I'd rate us at a five. Five. I held up four. I think our, we're a five. We got a long ways to go, right? And that's why we're talking about it today is because we can link arms and, and go for it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So a lot of times when you read the Bible, it's important to see who is the acting figure here, right? So at first, they devoted themselves to four things, and now who is the one who's actually acting and doing things? You can tell me. Is it God or the apostles? The apostles devoted themselves to four things, and it looks to me like God did this next part. Awe came upon them, and things were done through the apostles. That makes it confusing. Not by the apostles, through the apostles. So they devoted themselves to the right things, and then God took it from there, and he produced awe in them, and he did uh, wonders and signs um, through the apostles. So it's, uh, it's always important to, to realize 
that there's only so much that we do in this process. We devote ourselves to the right things, and then God produces the intended effect, which the intended effect of God is a community that has awe, a community that sees wonders, that sees God doing things that are out of the normal, which, frankly, I think is something that we do not experience in a normal way, right? So we don't see a lot of awe and wonders. And so we read about it in the Bible, but it seems like we fall desperately short of it. Uh, it's, like, it's like something we see off in the distance, like something we experienced in our past, in the church past, but it's ground that we've lost, right? So if we're a, an army or whatever, um, it's, it's a battle we had or a ground we had, a hilltop that we had, but our line now is way back here. And we just talk about the good old days when there was awe, a sense of awe and wonders and fear and everything in the community. Um, and the thing about that is, the, the sad part isn't just that we've lost it, it's that I'm not sure that we really want it back. There aren't many people that I see, or especially groups of people, linking arms and saying, that hill is something that we, that hilltop is something we lost, and we're getting it back. We're going to devote ourselves to the right things, and we're going to trust that God is going to produce results that just blow our socks off, that we couldn't even imagine. Wonders and signs and things like that. So what I imagine, and there's not enough time to unpack it, what I imagine is us getting comfortable enough with each other, we're doing enough breaking of bread and all that stuff, so we start linking arms and we start discussing what does it look like to see what God will do when we devote ourselves to the right things. I think it, that if, if awe and wonders are missing, it means the church has devoted itself probably to the wrong things, unless there are other things that God has going on that we just don't know about. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 44, and all who believed were together. So uh, this, is, this is, the church is like brand new, right? So it's not something where they've had year, hundreds of years of Sundays are like the normal cadence for church. Uh, it, things weren't overly programmed yet. They are now to a certain degree. Um, so these, when it says they were together, it means that they just kind of lived their lives together. They, when they went to the marketplace, they did it together. When they went to the temple, which is still something that was there in Jerusalem, they went together. It was the fellowship. They, this was like a normal way of thinking which isn't really a normal way for us to think necessarily. We have to make ourselves do it. But they were together a whole bunch. And then it keeps going. And they had all things in common. Now, this, this isn't like freaky all things in common. Like they all wore denim and had matching haircuts. Um, like, and, you know, six months from now, we wouldn't hope that everyone's dressing like Jake and has dyed their hair red. Uh, it's not that kind of in common. It's they all had a common trajectory, a common focus. Um, in life. And this is, again, communally speaking, this isn't something we experience much. The time that I have experienced it the most, and I'm experiencing it uh, a little bit in my life right now, is I'm in the Army National Guard. So um, I have been in for three years, and last August I commissioned as a second lieutenant, which before that means I spent 13 months as an officer candidate in OCS, officer candidate school, which is basically 13 months of torture uh, to see if you really wanted it. It's a 13-month gut check. Do you really want it, LT? Let's do this. And so uh, everything in the Army, but especially OCS, is together and in common. So the Army uniform has a bunch of pockets, a ridiculous number of pockets, and our pockets all had to match. The inventory of your pockets must, must match as an uh, officer candidate. So we would have TAC officers, and there were a lot of them, and they would come up and they would feel you know, my left shoulder pocket, and then they'd go to the next person and feel their pocket, and if our pockets didn't match, something's, I mean, we're going to be low-crawling for miles. Like, the world just ended, Russia just invaded, and we are losing the battle type stuff. Uh, 
the best example of how in common and together everything was, we had chow hall procedures. So you get your tray of army food, great stuff, and then you walk to your table. Um, at the end there, we started as a class of 28. I graduated with four others because people won't put up with that nonsense. I did for whatever reason. So there's five of us sitting around their table. So you, you all walk up to the kind of cafeteria-style table together. You're all at the, basically the position of tension, modified. And one of us says, take seats. We all sit down together. Ridiculous. Uh, so we're all sitting there. While in OCS, the, your eyes cannot leave the confines of your tray while you eat. So you're looking at your tray. You have about three minutes to eat like an animal. Get as much as you can in before the time you know, is up. And then after the time is up, one of us says, on your feet. Boom, we stand up in unison. One of us says, center, face. We got our trays. Actually, no, it's uh, on your feet, secure tray, center, face. And you all do it at the same time. File out. And then you all file out. And you go get yelled at for doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> that, that's 13 months of my life, one weekend, three days a, a month for, uh, for that long until they finally said, yeah, you deserve it. Here's an officer uh, butter bar. Um, so that was, that was my closest uh, um, experience of together and in common. And although I would not, you know, hope that we do that as a church, um, I would hope that we get to the intended result of what that was. Because the result of that was, by the end of it, none of us five people thought about it ourselves at all. We didn't even know how to think about ourselves anymore. It was always group. It was always me looking down the line at the other four people uh, wondering, if, are their pockets the same as mine? Are all of our pockets matching? And we would actually do, you know, these checks of each other to make sure everything matched. And we'd all stand the same. We'd do all these things together. We forgot about ourselves. We started thinking about the group. That would be amazing if we, again, linked arms and walked into this world uh, not thinking about ourselves alone, but we walked together um, with all things in common. That sort of thinking actually empowers the last part of that verse, which is they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Because again, they're not thinking just about, oh, it's me and my stuff and I'm trying to get more stuff. They're thinking about all the people that they're standing with um, in the church. There's a big temptation with this verse to kind of brush it under the rug. Right now you're thinking to yourselves, please don't talk about this verse. <laughs> selling their possessions and giving like if someone didn't work as hard as me they shouldn't get the stuff that I have because that's very American and congrats I'm all for America but that's not what the Bible says so you don't get to brush this verse underneath the rug in fact if you've been following Jesus for years and you can't think of a time when you saw a need and you didn't even have the capital to take care of that need. So you went to your inventory at home and you're like, you know what, I got this canoe that I haven't used for a long time. I'm going to sell it because I had $300. I'll get another 200 for the canoe and this person clearly needs about 500 bucks. If you can't think of a time in your life of following Jesus and it's been years, you can't think of a time where something like that's happened, you need to get on it. You need to get on it. You do not get to brush verses like this underneath the rug. I'll be honest with you, I need to get on it. I can't think of a time in the last 10 years of my life of following Jesus where I have literally said I got to sell something because I see someone with a need. And I'm preparing for this thing and I'm looking at it and going, it's never shame, right? It's never the intent for Jesus to, sh to or the Holy Spirit to shame us. But it is like a kick in the rear. Let's get going and let's do this and let's be who we're supposed to be. 
Point taken? Let's move on. Verse 46, last section. And day by day, because of everything that we've just read, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The community was growing every day because of how they were interacting with each other and with God. So here's kind of the whole point of all this stuff. Together, that word together is a, an anthem for the church to hold up in front of ourselves all the time. This whole thing just screams together. It's not just together Sunday mornings. It's together as we gather. It's together as we scatter in our homes, in our workplaces, whatever it looks like. And it's being devoted to the right things. And then it's watching God do wonders and signs. And it's amazing. That's the story that we're in. That's the story that you are invited to be in. So if you're someone who just wants to come in on Sundays and sit down and check a box, that's great. But just know that we're going to spend the next however many Sundays trying to convince you that there's more. There's a whole lot more that you could be experiencing. And this whole church could link arms and walk forward and do that. So the way this gets practical is when, when you stand up and we go out there, you talk to people. Don't just rush out of here. There's uh, plenty of space, and if there's not, then you go find space. But put yourself out there. Have courage. Introduce yourself to folks. Uh, the biggest thing that I've found in my life to, to make this practical is find a team to serve on. Even if you're not plugged in completely to the church, but you're checking it out, serve in the kids' ministry or serve in the parking crew or the brew crew or make up a crew. I, it doesn't matter to me. That's the place where you get plugged into church. That's the place where you feel connected to the fellowship. And that's the, the uh, ecosystem where you really start to grow in your faith is when you serve. So that's the challenge. Put yourself out there. Say hello to people. So you can start with that. But serve is probably the best way to find yourself actually connecting. Because last point, together never, ever happens on accident. You're not going to be a victim of togetherness. You're going to have to do it. You as an individual and you as a group, as Arbor Church, are going to have to do it or we're going to get months from here and realize we're not doing it right and we're going to have to recalibrate. That was the last point, but here's the last thought. God forbid if we ever have a family walk into our midst, whether we're gathered or scattered, and you can tell because you've got eyes open, you can tell that that person has a question, a precious question that they're trying to ask of God but they're entrusting that question to you temporarily. Whether it's to us as a group or to you as an individual, God forbid that you would ever be like the person who stood up here for my mom and who didn't have the presence of mind to realize that his sermon, no one is going to remember 45 minutes from now. But if you don't interact with this person right, right now, they're going to think wrong thoughts about God for the rest of their life. May the same be true for you and us, if someone has a question, may you handle that question with all the intensity and all the tenderness and humility that that person needs you to so that you give an accurate description to them of what God is really like. And the fact is he loves them and he wants them to be together with God's people, devoted to the right things, and he wants them to walk with God's people like we see in this passage. So with that, I'll pray. I'm going to pray that we have the courage um, and we take the time to do it. So let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful to you that even though my family experienced that as a, I was just a little kid, 
I, I was too young to even know the difference. And so I, I didn't grow up these last 25 years um, like my mom really has, struggling with this question. So I'm grateful to you for, for protecting me from that. But I pray for your church, this group in front of me. Um, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to, to, to shine forth you and your gospel in a way where people know that being together is really the point. Yes, it's about good doctrine. It's about all sorts of things, but it's doing it together, figuring out and following you together. I pray that you give us the courage to walk in that way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.